Weekly waits, Will goes on dates And Hayes is late But we're still mates And as of late We educate and postulate About the gym I lift more than both of you combined Oh yeah, this is Weekly Waits with Alex and Will Kablamo oh, I was going to say blammy so, oh. Let's try again Just radio silence, you can start Blammy We're keeping both in I liked your one though, Blammy's good uh, This is episode 71 71, yeah This is Weekly Waits, I'm Alex I'm Will How is everyone on Friday morning? That was rhetorical. You were supposed, <laughs> yeah. to, you were supposed like, to talk back to us. You know, in talkback radio, they say, like, how are you all going? And I always think that's moronic because it's rhetorical. But then they say, like, call us or, like, get in on the text line or something and tell us how you feel about this issue. I'm like, oh, there's, like, a genuine chance for some back and forth here. Like, somebody can ring up, you know, Bruce from Avalon or something. And I'll say, hey, you going, Brucey? And he'll go, yeah, good, mate. Now, you know, a few waves out there this morning. <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, okay, you can kind of say that on Talkback, but not a podcast. Should you can't we, really say how you're doing. Should we do like a live, Weekly Wades Live soon? I actually reckon Weekly Wades Live would be awesome. I reckon there wouldn't be much content. It'd be four hours of us sitting there being like, so. <laughs> and we get one question every like 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we'd probably get Tom Clark on the line for four hours. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> All right, so what are we talking about today? So we're going to do some uh, stuff on nutrition today. So nutritional tips for... Cutting and bulking, how to set up a diet, and just some general stuff that makes it easier for you to hit your targets. So I guess first question for the listeners, really good place to start here, Alex. What is nutrition? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> you, were, you were so ready for me to actually tee you up something good. Guys, I'm going to be honest. I haven't done much preparation for this You've topic. You've done a five-year degree or whatever it was. I've done a five-year degree, but I wouldn't say that in the past 24 hours I've thought much about this. So Alex is going to take the reins today. It could be one <laughs> hell of a ride. <laughs> and it's going to be about a five-minute podcast. And I'll give my moronic insights as we go through. I think we can pretty much put aside what is nutrition. The true answer is nobody knows. But we can talk about cutting and bulking. Um a probably smarter question, and this is one we've touched on a few times in the podcast, Alex. Not why is nutrition important, but why is having some phasic structure to nutrition important? Well, just like training, just like having phasic structure to our training is important, it's, it's important to align it with our nutrition. Hmm. So if we're doing a higher volume of training, it's important that we're able to eat enough food to support recovery and also perhaps gain some more muscle tissue if that's what the goal of the training block is so if you know if we're heading into a hypertrophy block to use that same example and we're not feeding ourselves enough energy to grow new muscle this kind of defeats the purpose of the training block entirely um anything to add to that oh i think also probably just worth mentioning from like a meta level is that powerlifting is you know it's obviously a sport about technique and preparedness and things on competition day but when you look at what separates the people who perform at the very highest level of powerlifting, it's pretty much how much muscle mass they carry that describes over 90% of the variance in performance. So nutrition and training have like a really strong synergistic relationship when we're trying to improve body composition. And if over the course of your training career, you don't do enough with your nutrition to maximize the returns on body composition of your training, then you're probably not going to be the most competitive powerlifter that you can. So I think having a grasp of nutritional principles is really important. And I think it's also very important because, and this is what drove me to study nutrition initially, um, 
Nutrition doesn't just serve the purpose of making you a better powerlifter. Most people eat for for emotional reasons, for social reasons, for cultural reasons, things like that as well. And so being able to tie nutrition that is facilitative of your sporting performance or you developing in your hobby to a lifestyle that's generally sustainable and just promotes your well-being as a person is going to set you in really good stead. So I think just having a firm grasp of this stuff is going to let you basically you know, get what you want out of the sport while not losing anything of what you want from your life or at least losing as little as possible. Um, yeah, so that's why it's important. Let's talk about cutting. Is that what we were going to start with? Yeah, well, I think it's probably best to start with what, like finding our maintenance. What is maintenance? Right. So if we, if we are wanting to just maintain our body weight, we need to eat the same amount of calories that we are outputting, just yep. simple energy balance. And then from there, once we have a grasp of what our maintenance calories is or what our maintenance calories are, mm-hmm. we can then decide what we do in relation to which goal we have. Yeah. So I guess we, yeah, let's start with cutting. Um, how much energy would we want to take away on a percentage um, scale from our maintenance if we were to do a cut wheel? Somewhere in the 10 to 20% range is almost always a good start for most people. Although I was actually, this is the one bit of thinking I did do about this topic. Um, you can make an argument for doing relatively short-term aggressive cuts, particularly in a powerlifting context where you might want to minimize the time you spend away from maintenance or a surplus if you can work it in with your training. So there is probably there's probably a time and a place for aggressive cutting. We can talk about that as well. But for just your all-purposes, generally slow cut, something like a 10 to 20% deficit is usually reasonably sustainable for most people. It's not so restrictive that you can't get enough fuel in to train well, um, and it's not so restrictive that you don't still have a decent array of food choices at your disposal um, without sort of overblowing your macros. And if you put that into context for a male who maintains on about 3,000 calories, which isn't enormously abnormal if you're sort of a middleweight male with relatively high activity levels, then that's a like three to 600 calorie deficit. So, you know, if the maths worked perfectly, which it doesn't, then you'd be losing somewhere, you know, around half a kilo a week on that type of cut, you know, maybe a quarter to just over half. Um, and if you're a smaller female who maintains on, say, 2,200 calories, then that puts you somewhere in the quarter to half a kilo of weight loss per week. And again, whacking that all back into percentage terms, for body weight loss, if you're, say, a 90-kilo male losing you know, half a kilo per week, then you're losing just over half a percent of your body weight per week, which is pretty sustainable and easy, and it's rarely advised in athletic contexts to go much above about 1% of weight loss per week. So basically, the type of deficit that, or 10 to 20% for most people, unless they have very high energy expenditure or very low energy, ex- energy expenditure, should put you at around half a percent of your body weight loss per week. That's a reasonable place to start for a cut that's going to be of a reasonable duration, you know, six to ten weeks or something. So who would be a good candidate for someone, like you mentioned earlier, to have that aggressive shortcut? Who would be a good... Because I've um, done this earlier this year. Yeah. I cut six kilos in seven weeks. Yeah. And that was like very aggressive, very low calories, but in and out quickly. I actually think this is the reason I think it's an interesting question um, because I think it's a value judgment and there are two camps of people for whom I think it can be really appropriate and weirdly they sit at opposite ends of the spectrum. So for people who are already quite lean and Alex in powerlifting terms at least is, you know, 
lean enough, like he's within touch of what would be a good training weight or training leanness for you. Would you say that's fair? Uh, not when I started that cut, but yeah, now. Like you were a bit, <laughs> you were fluffy then, but the point is you were six kilos, seven kilos from being like an ideal training leanness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people who are already reasonably lean don't have much weight to lose um, and are willing to and able to put in those dedicated shortcuts can do pretty well. Like if you've only got four or five kilos of weight to lose and you can knock it off in three to five weeks then that's actually a really good trade-off it's short you get in you get out you don't get any terrible adaptations to prolonged low calorie intake in that time um so you can get in there do that be right back out and if that ties in with your training phase well then that can be a really good thing to do so say you're you know a long way out from a competition you want to spend a decent time in a building phase doing hypertrophy work but you know you've got that weight to lose before you can put on weight then that might be a good time to do it you're already reasonably lean But funnily enough, the people at the complete opposite end of the spectrum can also benefit from that. So people who are people who are pretty overweight, so have, you know, more than say 10% of their actually 10% is not even that overweight. Say you had more than like 15% or 20% of your total body weight that you wanted to lose. Doing an aggressive cut can actually be a really good place to start, and there's a few reasons. One is if you're already pretty reasonably overfat then you don't get as much negative adaptation to reduced energy intake because you just happen to have a whole lot of spare energy sitting around on your body in the form of fat. So in some respects, you get away with a little bit more. It's more complicated than that, but it's a good good conceptual framework. You can get away with more aggressive cutting because you're already fatter and you have more fat to lose. That's number one. Number two, it's from a clinical perspective, there seems to be reasonably good outcomes associated with rapid initial weight loss. And it doesn't seem to worsen people's adherence or worsen the maintenance of weight loss. So then there's probably good reason to assume that initial, like rapid initial weight loss for people who have a lot to lose is not a bad place to go. Um, And yeah, I think it can be motivating. That might be one reason. And another one is if you have a good amount of weight to lose, so say you're just coming from a baseline really poor diet, you can make changes from a really poor diet to a diet that's decent without being like fully orthorexic about it and almost inadvertently cut a quite significant amount of calories off whilst not necessarily trading off in like in terms of you know how energetic you feel or full you feel so you get a huge amount of bang for your buck from pretty severe calorie restriction um, without necessarily suffering the downsides so when you're really lean and you already have a baseline diet that's really good and you try and chop a whole lot of energy out of it, suddenly get to the point where you're eating chicken and rice and broccoli and shit, and it's pretty boring. If you're living your life on burgers and pizzas and, you know, full sugar Cokes and beers, and you're eating, like, 4,000 calories a day, and really you you could probably lose weight pretty happily on, like, 2,500, you can have a really severe deficit by literally moving towards a diet that's mostly comprised of whole foods, still have, yeah, reasonably palatable meals, still have a treat here or there, probably actually feel better in your skin because the quality of food that you eat is higher and the food bulk is higher because you're moving from very energy dense foods to foods that are less energy dense and that's a topic we can cover maybe in more depth and still have that rapid weight loss and because you need to engender those behaviors in the long term anyway can be a good place to start so to answer your question more succinctly alex if you don't have much weight to lose and you have the time to do it and it doesn't interfere with your training plans jump right in if you've got a whole lot of weight to lose and you're willing to do it in some stages, so do rapid initial weight loss, 
then work on maintenance for a little bit and then go to a more gradual weight loss approach or go to more sort of rapid weight loss approaches in a stepped fashion. So do, you know, six weeks of rapid weight loss, four weeks of maintenance, six weeks of rapid weight loss, four weeks of maintenance and things like that for a while. That can also be a good place to go as well until you start being like, okay, my food choice is significantly restricted. My energy is, you know, coming down. I don't feel as good from this weight loss and then you might need to move to a gradual approach. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, let's talk about what we do with that energy. Yes. So we have we have our macros that we need to hit. We have our proteins. We have our fats. We have our carbs. And we have our alcohol. We have our alcohols. <laughs> that's that's very so important. Seven calories a gram. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is seven calories a gram. Good let's, stuff. Uh, let's... You would track alcohol. I would know. <laughs> I would know. <laughs> I saw your... Alex made a post on Instagram the other day about... It was basically... It was like Alcoholics Anonymous, but for powerlifters. Yeah. You were like, I used to be the type of guy who could only have 40 beers instead of one. And now I'm trying to be better and yeah. I have like two a week I've or something. I've been better. That sucks, bro. I've been better. And I feel better. <laughs> I've been doing way worse. And I'm feeling way worse. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Seems man. like there's some correlation there. Yeah, I'm training like shit and my body looks <laughs> terrible, but, but I get wasted every Saturday. All right, yeah, so we got our macros. Yeah, okay, so we got our macros. Let's talk about <clears throat> during the cutting phase, how much protein would we say is ideal? I think a good all-purposes protein <coughs> intake is about 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight. So that's around the magic, like, one gram per pound figure that people throw around. So Muscle Tech wasn't lying to me? I, honestly, Muscle Tech weren't lying to you. Um, again, in the case of people who are pretty significantly over fat, you can, have, you can bring that down a decent way. Um, part of the reason you can bring that down a decent way is just because they have less lean tissue per, per, like, their entire body size. So if you're 200 kilos, but you only really have 100 kilos of lean mass, you probably don't need 400 grams of protein. Um... So, so there's a bit of wiggle room there. I think that's a really good place to start. When you are getting into a very aggressive cut, or you're very, very lean, or you've been cutting for a very long time, there might be a case for increasing the protein that you take in. But for powerlifting purposes, that's very rarely going to be a problem. And I think when Eric Helms... I'm going to misquote the figures. But I think when Eric Helms did his paper on like contest prep for bodybuilders, he made an argument that protein intake might need to get up north of three grams per kilo something like 3.4 grams per kilo in those populations for maximum results but even then that's for a very short period of time at the very end of a long deficit there is a case for having higher protein intakes than one gram um sorry than 2.2 grams per kilo um, one of the reasons you might make that argument is that protein's more sating than other macronutrients, although the benefits of protein on satiety, I think, start to taper off with very higher or with higher intakes. Another one, and this one I think is pretty important, is that it can just restrict food choice a little bit. So when you have when you have protein taking up a very high portion of your total energy intake, it sort of stops you eating things that would probably constitute a deviance from from your plan or from your macros so it restricts food choice naturally and there was a third one the third one's the thermic effect of protein so there's been some study um jose antonio is one person who's done this on a couple of people where in overfeeding environments really high protein intake so i think he's investigated up to like 4.4 grams per kilo so literally double what i'm saying now um seem to prevent against or protect against weight gain so you might make the argument that because of the thermic effect of protein, 
um, that it would also aid in weight loss. Um, but I'd say if you stuck in the 1.8 to 2.2 grams, that's going to get you pretty much all the muscle retention benefit you'll need for 99% of purposes um, and still allow you like pretty reasonable food choices and things. I think too much higher than that starts to get in the realm of like hard to sustain. Cool. So as you can tell there, protein's pretty fixed in that sort of little window and it's not going to move too much depending on whether we're in a big surplus or a big cut or whatever. We're going to be relatively close to the same protein target all the time. Yeah. So for me, like, to use myself as an example, the lowest my protein's been in the last couple of years has been 180 and the highest has been um, 220. So, like, again, very reasonable. Do you use... And even 220 is probably, like, over, the, over that range. Do you use a fixed protein target on a day-by-day and week-by-week basis? Yeah, day-by-day protein is exactly the same, yeah. Right. Um, when we get to the end of talking about macronutrients, because we'll do carbs and fat and alcohol, um, when we get to the end of them, I'll talk about how I like to prescribe them. Not that I don't really do much nutrition coaching, which seems like a waste, but um, but I don't really do much nutrition coaching, but I'll talk about the way in which I like to prescribe them. Um, but yeah, that 180 to 220 range is almost certainly covering all your bases because you're an 85 to 90 kilo man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, so... All right, so fat and carbs. This is where we have a little bit of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, there are minimums for fat that we need to hit. There aren't really for carbs. There aren't, but weirdly, I, I like your thoughts on this. Um, in practice, I actually prefer to set carbs because it's, it's not that easy to get below your minimum required fat intake unless you're on a really restrictive cut or you just do something absolutely absurd. Um, there's a couple of reasons we have minimum fat requirements. One is because the omega-3 fatty acids uh, or a couple of the omega-3 fatty acids are essential fatty acids. We can't synthesize them from other other fats that are in the body, so we need to take in a certain amount of them. That's not actually guaranteed by having the the minimum amount of fat. The other one is that it can support hormone production and things. There might be other reasons, but they're they're the two that jump to my mind. And the minimum that most people bandy around is about 0.4 grams per kilo per day. And so again, like Alex and I are 90-ish kilo men. So that's 36 grams of fat a day. And if anybody's like, if anybody listening has tracked macros, you can get 36 grams of fat really easily from like just a very normal meal. So it's pretty hard to get far below that. And again, 36 grams, so four nines are 360. So so you're talking of 120 calories-ish. How'd you get to 420? Oh, sorry. No, it's like, it's about 300 calories. Um, cause six nines are 45. Yeah, no, yeah. So it's 315 calories. So like, again, that would have to constitute a really small proportion of our total calorie intake for you to get down that low. So that said, I like to actually prescribe carbohydrates, um, as a minimum myself. And the reason is, although we don't really have like a physiological need to consume carbohydrates, we can synthesize glucose from other things that we take in. Um, we don't have a physiological need to do it from a training perspective. It's almost certainly beneficial to have a certain carbohydrate intake. And so when like when we're prescribing diets for the sake of powerlifting performance, you want to make sure, like you're already trying to make sure you get enough protein to support adaptation. You almost certainly want to get in enough carbs to fuel training and recovery well. So when I write a diet for people, I usually put them in a ballpark um, range of carbohydrate intake that will support training. That's tied to their total training volume. And then from there, I'd say the, the remainder can be allocated to fat. Um, 
but I usually just call the remainder discretionary because most of it will fall into fat almost inadvertently and then if their protein bumps up, no loss. If their carb bumps up, no loss. Yeah, it's definitely, like you said, hard to be under that minimum fat requirement and yeah. if you eat a normal diet. Yeah, and I think the downsides the downsides of having fat, um, fat really creep up with energy intake being about the same, the the biggest down, downsides basically come from fat displacing protein and carbs. So provided that you have adequate protein and carbohydrate intake, having fat fall in a range from low through moderate is probably fine. Um, I think anyway. Yeah, see, I, uh, I agree entirely. I tend to set macros for clients and just say hit within range, you know, five grams for each macro. Yeah. And then I don't really and I, I don't really give them the choice. But if they are someone who says, you know, I prefer eating a little bit more fat on my non training days, I might, you know, give them a little bit of flexibility when they're not training to eat a little bit more fat. Or if there's someone who says, oh, I really don't like eating fat, I prefer to eat more carbs, then like, you know, you can flip it that way. Yeah. So long as you're hitting those minimum fat requirements, um, it doesn't really matter too much. So let's talk about alcohol. Let's quickly talk about the other macros before we yeah before we dive into alcohol. So alcohol, now that now that we've mentioned it, would fall under the discretionary um, block for me. So say I had somebody who needed just for the ease of calculating, say they needed three thousand calories a day, and they um, they weighed about ninety kilos. So we're not too far from Alex and myself. Um, and they were training with normal powerlifting training. So, you know, training four or five times a week with moderate volumes. So they're in just like general hypertrophy or strength phase. As a starting point, I might ask them to have a minimum of like three grams per kilo of carbohydrates, maybe a little higher, up to four. So three to four grams per kilo of carbohydrate. And then I'd set their, their protein minimum at being, you know, at around two grams per kilo. So again, for the ease of maths, they've got 180 grams of protein because they're a 90 kilo guy, so two grams. And then around three grams is a minimum for carbohydrates, 270. I'd probably be inclined to bump that up. So say it's 300. So now we've got 480 times four, so there's four, four calories per gram of carbohydrates. Four is 32. What's that? That's, nine, that's about 1,900 of their calories. That leaves them 1,100 discretionary calories, which could be up to like, what 120 grams of fat but more likely than not if they're a normal person they're going to end up eating you know somewhere in the 70 to 100 grams of fat which means they'll have you know they have the wiggle room to add 20 or 30 more grams of carbs or you know have a little bit more protein if they just happen to choose foods that are richer in them on the day and then that way people can have a pretty flexible meal template on top of that i might choose to impose some meal structure or some food choice instruction which would narrow down the variability a little bit. But at least in doing that, I'm like, I know our ducks are in a line broadly and there's enough room for them to eat per their preferences and have deviations on a day-by-day day basis without feeling like um, feeling like they've left any gains on the table. So that's normally where I'd start. Mm-hmm. And for, for, cutting, for cutting purposes, how, how much would you taper this carb requirement per kilo? I actually wouldn't. Um, so you just decrease the discretionary calories. Exactly. So you'd say three to four grams of carbs per kilo. Yeah. And then now you've only got, you know, 500 discretionary calories instead of 1,200. Exactly. And so in the, like, in the case, in the case of that exact person, if I'd said I'm going to set their, actually this ties into training structure, but, um, but say I've set their baseline carb intake at 300 grams 
And really my math says 270 is around the minimum of where I want them. I could bring them down to 270 if I wanted to just give them more discretionary calories. That also might be a time in which you'd implement carb cycling. So like you were saying on your off days, you might choose to reduce their carbohydrate minimum because they don't need it acutely to fuel the training. And then that gives them a bigger discretionary calorie buffer. So it frees up some food choice, makes the diet seem less restrictive. But what often tends to happen is I would have my cutting phases coincide with the parts of train, like the parts of a training structure where training volume is a little bit lower because provided that intensity or like effort per set is high enough, training volume doesn't need to be as high to maintain muscle as it does to build it. And so oftentimes it, the cuts will coincide with times when their carbohydrate requirements are naturally a bit lower, which naturally bulks up your discretionary calorie window which naturally gives you more calories to cut away from does that make sense 100 yeah um yourself do you do a similar thing or do you like you said you like to set them in stone um how much how much feedback do you take from the athlete before you sort of determine like how much fat you want them to have or like what goes into your decision making um i will generally get them to do like um to give me like a normal day's eating and just to see what kind of foods they like to eat yeah and then from there have a gauge on um you know like the the types of you know foods that may contain fat or may contain carbs and then it gives me an idea of like where to set their numbers at sure um but you know i try and i try to keep the numbers uh quite consistent across the week it's just easy to track their weight it's easy to track it's easier for them to know whether they're hitting their numbers exactly um it's easy it's easy to plan food as well yeah i think that's a that is actually a really important downside of of that approach that I used is although I think it although I think it meets the needs of getting people the results that they're after, it does definitely introduce a lot of noise into things like body weight tracking, and it does rely on them being more competent in tracking their foods and stuff than when you impose more structure. And so I think, and again, when we've sort of finished rounding off the discussion around like cutting requirements, we can talk about this. That's actually that's a tool that I would consider part of my arsenal if I were to do a nutrition intervention with somebody is imposing more structure so either restricting their macronutrient choice restricting their food choice or imposing meal structures and things i think it's important to do that stuff as a way of sort of facilitating adherence with the diet overall Um, and so when you are cutting and you have less discretionary intake and it's more important that your timing of food and stuff is appropriate to facilitate the training that you need to do to maintain muscle and strength then imposing more structure is really important when you're bulking and stuff and like you're tracking changes over a longer period and you already have an abundance of food and stuff and you're not really concerned about like adequacy just to support training then you can pull structure away to allow people more freedom and make it less of a slog provided that they're actually meeting the goals that you set from a more like overarching level yeah it's a lot it's a lot uh better for cutting to be like exact to just Mm. tell someone exactly what to do yeah um i think it's also motivating for someone when they're in a dieting phase because they know it's only a short period of time. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, the next six weeks I've got to diet. I've got to hit my numbers every day. Like it, that's something that they can do quite easily if mm. it's, you know, over a short period of time. And then, you know, as we get introduced more calories, we start to, you know, chip away. We might take away macros entirely or give them a carb minimum and yeah. say hit a protein and a calorie number yeah. with a carb minimum or something like that. Yeah. But as we get more calories and basically more freedom from more calories we can kind of yeah restrict that restriction i guess yeah i think the the only the only important sort of counter argument is and also when you're eating more food you're going to be eating out a lot more frequently Mm -hmm. which means you know 
you may leave yourself a thousand calories for dinner, but you don't know which macros are going to come from. Yeah, of course. I think the only concern with, particularly in the instance of cutting, with really like emphasizing exactness of tracking is that you're already like people don't respond very well psychologically to like to calorie restriction generally um it you know it can be not that big of a deal but if you impose pretty severe calorie restriction on people for a reasonably long time and you impose very strict rules around them and it becomes this binary question of like did i do well or did i do badly with my food today am i making good or bad choices then you can foster some relatively unhealthy attitudes towards food and so like whilst whilst i don't disagree with the sentiment that you know you need to be a bit more precise to ensure that you're getting the the returns that you want from the diet that you're choosing to do and it's easier in the short term to motivate yourself to do it it's still like still important to have the conversation in a way that doesn't give people sort of unhealthy beliefs about their behaviors and like you said coaching them through the transition to more like more free eating without um without maintaining those unhealthy attitudes is is difficult as well and it's something i think that good bodybuilding coaches do really well um you know good dietitians do really well and fitness professionals who just give people diets and then tell them to bulk up and stuff often do really shittily because they don't think about that human element yeah and we see this a lot in power in powerlifting context all the time people cut really really hard to make weight they make weight they compete they fucking have 10,000 calories of that night pizza donuts million beers and then you know within the next month they've gained all the weight that they lost back in the 12 week diet yeah. and then they have to do the same thing all over again for the next competition and not only that they feel bad about themselves for having done it yeah and or, it's, or that or they don't learn any lessons from it either yeah. or and that that massive restriction and um, I guess the first problem is being too heavy so close to competition that's mm. like the first issue yeah. is you know you need to do your diets a little bit further out so you can maintain weight into competition or at least sit just a little bit above yeah so you can just manipulate in so either being way too heavy leading into competition and then having to restrict yourself so much that you're craving all these foods and then you just go bananas afterwards mm. um so i guess we have to learn to like you know diet smart not harder and then be smart about post-competition re gaining weight like the right weight and the right amount of weight yeah absolutely um yeah okay cool so we've more or less covered the macronutrient requirements we've pretty much covered bulking as well like well we kind of have but we haven't spoken in a cutting sense you wrote micronutrition Mm -hmm. this is unusual so normally i have the handwritten notes which alex can't read this time he's got handwritten notes and his handwriting yeah it's actually quite good (laughs) Um, I never got a pen license at school. <laughs> <laughs> I was so offended in year, what year was it? Four, I think. Yeah. That I wasn't the first in my class to get my pen license. Who, what, like as in you were third or fourth? I was like third, yeah. And I was I was filthy. Bro, totally fine. I'm like, I was nearly knocked back from my master's because they were like, man, you like you can't fill that in pencil and you definitely can't like trace a stencil for every letter for this essay in the exam. You know, when you, know? you like sign up for a university course and you have to like present them with your HSC and like your ATAR and everything did you yeah. have to present them your pen license and you were like oh, oh I have to forge one yeah exactly went and stole one <laughs> <laughs> held some guy up on the server changed the name on it imagine that like identity theft running rife so that people would show pen licenses at uni oh man um, anyway we've gotten a bit <laughs> gotten a bit off topic in a good way though so cutting you wrote micronutrition mm-hmm. now 
micronutrition basically just means nutrition but smaller, doesn't it? Yeah, so when you're cutting, you just eat less nutrition. <laughs> yeah, so that's basically that's it. Cutting just, is yeah, micronutrition. <laughs> Easy. Um, no, micronutrition describes, so the energy-containing molecules in food are your macronutrients. Um, micronutrition describes the things that aren't energy containing per se but they're important nutritional elements of food so we're talking vitamins and minerals and shit like that the boring crap that no one cares about let's be honest yeah vegetables and fruit yeah fuck that am i right (laughs) grains and stuff guys inside information that most of you probably don't know is that like we fortify the bread supply in australia with with micronutrients that the population might be at risk of deficiency for based on just what seems to be the standard australian diet so just eat some bread. Don't just worry put, about your veggies. Just put your meat pie in between two slices of Wonder White. <laughs> exactly. How sad is that? Where they're like, oh, you know, none of these women are going to get enough folate. All the babies are going to have neural tube defects if we don't. If we don't just put some like bloody folate and shit in the Wonder White. So put it in the weepies. Yeah, we can't Vegemite. trust them to eat their vegetables. Um, but look, more serious. More seriously, micronutrients are important. They're important not just for your health and well-being. Well, actually, sorry, that's not true. They are important for your health and well-being. But I don't really prescribe on the basis of micronutrition nearly ever. In a clinical dietetic session uh, setting, you might need to consider that. Um, in the case of healthy general population, people with athletic goals, very rare that you do. But if you don't eat a diet that is likely to supply you with adequate micronutrients, particularly when you're cutting, then like, just what the fuck are you doing? Um, So I spoke about energy density before obliquely and said that when you improve food quality, it can be very easy to reduce, um, reduce energy intake. So when you are cutting, biasing yourself towards mostly whole minimally processed foods, which means things like fruits and vegetables and whole grains and stuff, is going to make losing weight a whole lot easier. It's going to make it easier. So energy density basically means how much energy each bite of food that you put in your mouth prescribe, um, not prescribes, provides you. Calories per bite. Calories per bite, Mac, actually. At Mac. Yeah, um, shout out to my client, Mackenzie Baker, who actually has really good nutritional information on his Instagram page, even though we make fun of him. Um, but yeah, calories per bite are important. And a couple of reasons that are important... One, if you get a whole bunch of people and put them at a buffet for a meal, um, ad libitum energy intake basically scales with energy density. So if you give people food that gives them more calories per bite, they'll just take the same number of bites basically and eat more food. That's on a single meal basis. Um, And that seems to hold true even when they change the macronutrient composition of the foods to be constant. So it's not just that. But macronutrients also play a part because fats are the most energy dense macronutrient. Um, and carbohydrates are less so and protein because of the higher thermic effect you could argue is less so than carbs because fats are more energy dense and we usually reduce fat intake during cutting phases so you know we're trying to preserve enough carbohydrate to fuel good training your food choices are probably going to be biased towards foods that are relatively higher carb and relatively lower fat um, which means you have the choice of lollies or things like fruits vegetables and whole grains and I've already said that fruits, vegetables, and whole grains are good for your health and they're filling. Lollies are not that good for your health and not that filling. So you'd be pretty dumb to try and get most of your energy intake in by eating a whole bunch of shit when you're cutting because you want to serve the, serve the interests of keeping yourself full and training really hard. And your food choice 
as a consequence of you reducing your energy intake, if you want to adhere to your diet and feel good doing it, should be biased towards foods that provide you adequate adequate micronutrients. So I don't think you should have to actually track them. You should just trust yourself or set the goal of eating like a decent bulk of vegetables, you know, a few hundred grams a day of vegetables, one or two pieces of fruit most days, have some whole grains here and there, and then just have treats as like 10 to 20% of your energy intake, and you'll almost certainly knock that out of the park. Alex, what do you have to add? Nothing to add. Uh, Just in summary, eat a balanced diet, eat a variety of foods, eat different fruits and vegetables. Um, And, you know, especially when you're cutting, like you are going to get hungry and... You know, if you have an extra 100 grams of broccoli with your dinner, you, you'll be fuller than if you didn't have any broccoli at all. If you had just chicken and rice with no vegetables versus, you know, taking away 10% of your rice for an extra, like, a couple Kilo. hundred yeah, a couple <laughs> hundred grams of, um, of green veggies, like, you're going to be a lot fuller. You're going to be a lot happier at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I wrote an article actually that goes into a bit more depth about that ages ago on my website it's called it's called something like why um why i often begin weight loss diets by reducing dietary fat um so check that out goes into that a little bit more but basically micronutrients make smart food choices and they should take care of themselves mostly um again in the case of like bodybuilding contest diets you might want to take a multivitamin or something but like you're probably not a bodybuilder if you're listening to this Timing. So again, earlier I said that it's probably more important to think about timing when you're cutting. There's 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 good evidence to suggest that having some carbohydrates proximal to or during training helps strength performance. So in the case of aerobic training, um, there's really strong evidence that having carbohydrate pre and during training helps maintain performance. And in short duration cardio exercise, weirdly, there's um, there's evidence that even just swishing carbohydrate solutions in your mouth and spitting them out improves performance um, or, yeah, improves sprint performance and things um, and time trial performance under like half an hour. And so it's presumed that there's like oral carbohydrate sensors um, that, help, that help with that. But basically having some carbohydrates around aerobic training certainly helps. And they tried to replicate the swish and spit things with strength training. And for some reason, swishing and spitting didn't help. But my dog is having an absolute spaz out in the background right now. Swishing and spitting didn't help in the strength context, but but drinking the solution did. So so at, le- like at least from that, there's a reason to think that having some carbohydrate around or during training helps. Strength training is also typically pretty glycolytic. So it's fueled by carbohydrate metabolism mostly. Um, and yeah, just generally you would assume that having some carbs around training is beneficial because you have less total energy intake. You're also less likely to just inadvertently consume enough, enough food or enough carbohydrates close to training unless you plan it. So in a cutting phase, what I tend to instruct people to do is somewhere in the like 45 to 90 minutes prior to training, eat somewhere between like 0.5 to one and a half grams per kilo of body weight of carbohydrate. So you can scale that down the closer to training you get and have some fluid with it. So if you're really close to training and you're at a pinch, then something like a sports drink is great for most people. So that'll give you like high 30s grams of carbohydrates. Um, But if you're further from training, having like a couple of slices of toast with some peanut butter and honey or something is great. Drink some water with it. But doing things like that is likely to just ensure that you train well enough to get the most out of your training. 
Um, protein timing probably doesn't matter as much within like any sensible scale, but if you have a few protein feedings a day of more than about 0.4 grams per kilo of protein, you know, with one or two larger ones in there, maybe like before bed or something, you're almost certainly doing all that you have to do, but it's not the biggest deal if your protein's a little bit skewed here and there, provided you're having a couple of feedings a day. And then fat doesn't really matter. It's just incidental. Alex? Yeah, again, it's the same theme of just like have a reasonable diet, eat a good variety, eat a few times a day. And then if you can, especially when cutting, try and get some um, carbohydrate around training time. Yeah. And, you know, as an anecdote, I know that I feel a hell of a lot better, particularly when I'm on low calories when uh, during training when I've had some carbs before or during training. Yeah, and there was, there was recent, um, recent evidence as well um, and this probably pertains to people who do really early morning training or who intermittent fast most. There was some recent evidence where um, where skipping breakfast impaired exercise performance in resistance training. I, I haven't read the study, so I don't want to I don't want to go too in depth on it because I'll just misrepresent it. But but basically, it suggested that if you are going to yeah, whether it is fast or train in the morning it's probably going to benefit you to have some food prior to training almost always. Um, and that's just sensible. Most people would presume that. Um, and that can just be like a banana or an apple or something. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to be too complicated. Like anecdotally, I've known people who can train fasted reasonably well. And I bet that if you are just training with pretty low volumes and stuff, that that's probably okay. But again, like... I, why risk it you might as well facilitate training as well as you can because presumably you're listening to this to help use your nutrition to facilitate your hobby which is powerlifting not nutrition so so, so eat in a way that supports your training sweet that it um, break let's have a break see peak speak sucks what up um where we glamour yeah, Kablammy? Nice. I like Um Not a word from our sponsors. This is just Alex and I being good blokes because this is the People's Podcast, so community corner here. Rob Flett, the guest who joined us to talk about sleep however many episodes ago, um, has asked us to mention that Lift Performance Center, where Alex and myself work, will be running their strength coach course in, on September the 8th. Um, I'll be presenting the powerlifting element of the course this time. Um, but they also cover weightlifting and gymnastics. It's something like a six-hour course. Um, you can find out more about it on the Lift Performance Center website. That's it. If they want more, they're going to have to pay us. you have anything to add? Uh, if you type in Weekly Weights 20 at checkout, yeah. uh, Will will call you out in his presentation and say thank you. And yeah, you, you don't get a discount. I will do that. You know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make that commitment here on the air. Because I don't think they have a discount thingy at checkout, you might just have to message me directly and say weekly weights twenty. There's definitely no discount. There's not a discount. <clears throat> but if you if you message me on Instagram weekly weights twenty, I will read out your username in my presentation. That will be the first thing I'll say. Point of order and do it. So there you go. And make it really embarrassing for that person. Very embarrassing. I'll give them a party hat to wear as well. <laughs> All right. We've spoken about cutting. What is bulking? Bulking is just when you like go up a weight class and you just get real fat. <laughs> that's that's basically powerlifting one hundred and one. I remember. Um, uh, well, what, about, what about in the West Side Dock? This just reminded me of this. We were talking about this last week. Yeah. With the 
What was the guy's name, the like kind of intelligent guy towards the end who quit? Oh, I can't remember. I know who you're talking about, the guy who was really big. Yeah, he got up to like 308 pounds and he was getting sleep apnea and he, I think he, what did he do? He squatted 1,000, I think, for the first time. That was like his life goal to squat 1,000. Yeah. And then um, straight after straight after he was like, okay, I need to quit this. Yeah, I'm going to die. And then, and then Louis said to him, oh, I think if you... Um, Go up to three fifty, you can be the world record holder. He was like, "I'm out." You know what That's I think? Is, you know what I think is like really impressive about that guy. He was saying like his sleep apnea was so bad. He was using a CPAP machine and stuff, and he was like worried pretty much every time he fell asleep that he would die, and he could still fall asleep. What a bloody hard nut! <laughs> I'm like, it's because he was just so tired from all the training, dude. If I think I'm gonna like sleep past my alarm in the morning, I can't go to bed. Like, yeah. imagine this guy. <laughs> Truly thinking he's going to die and just passing out. That's sick. All right. So bulking isn't just that. Although I don't mind the get... It's called GFH. Get F-wording. Fucking huge. Wow. Actually, I did change it. So we say explicit. Yeah. We now say explicit on iTunes so we can swear as much as we want. So fuck iTunes and fuck anyone who doesn't like swearing. Um, Yeah, GFH. Get fucking huge. So that was like Lee Priest. Guy's famous Australian bodybuilder whose daughter Alex and I used to work with at Fitness First. Yep, Mike Tyson tattoo on his face. Yeah. Um, Lee Priest, best arms in the business. He was a big proponent of the get fucking huge philosophy in his off-season and look up pictures of him in the off-season and he was a fat, fat man. Probably not the best way to go about it. Big spoiler alert. Um, so, What is the best way to go about it, Will? Good question. Probably not that. Um, okay, so bulking, we basically... Like Alex said, talking about moving up weight classes, getting jacked, adding muscle. Well, not necessarily moving up weight classes. Sometimes we could be in a sustained surplus to just gain more muscle before we you know, do another mini cut and gradually improve body composition within the same weight class. For sure. But we're talking about here trying to maximize muscle gain and we're using nutrition to facilitate it. Um, the rate of weight gain... Well, first things first. If you are trying to put on muscle mass outside of absolute beginners and some rarer circumstances, you most likely are going to have to gain some weight. Um, Recomposition does absolutely happen, and it does actually happen with relatively experienced athletes as well during weight loss here and there, but it's certainly not something that I would hang my hat on happening for everybody, and I would consider that more like a lucky bonus. So if you're trying to maximize muscle gain, you need to gain some weight. Um, Unfortunately, the rate at which we gain muscle is not that fast, and that almost certainly comes with gaining some fat. But you want to eat enough food to maximize muscle, muscle gains without that spilling over into just super excessive fat gain. And it seems to be that the rates of weight gain that you need are moderate and probably at around half the rate at which you lose weight, maybe even less so when you're more advanced. So if you're an absolute novice, who has heaps and heaps of muscle to put on, then you could probably, and particularly if you're already underweight or skinny, then you can probably afford to put on, you know, in the like quarter to half a kilo of weight per week. Although that's pretty aggressive and I wouldn't do that for long. Um, Once you're in the intermediate phase, something like, you know, a kilo a month, it's not a bad place to go. Any slower than that, you run the risk of either not maximizing your returns on muscle gain in training or just not gaining weight at all. Um, which is a bit useless if your goal is to gain weight. And then once you're pretty advanced, you basically have to just either bite the bullet and say, well, I'm going to gain a decent amount of fat 
um, to gain any muscle at all or gain weight in a much slower fashion because you've realised that your total rate of muscle gain in you know a given time block is just going to be so small that it's barely measurable. So somewhere in the about half the rate at which you lose weight speed is not a bad place to start for most people, which means most people need a surplus of more like 10% of their total energy intake than up to 20. Um, however, what happens most of the time when you increase energy intake, and this varies on a person-to-person basis, what happens most of the time when you increase energy intake is that energy expenditure inadvertently increases. Um, so one of the components of energy expenditure is non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which basically just describes any activity that's unplanned physical exercise, but encompasses things like the amount that you fidget when you're sitting in a chair or standing on your feet. Um, and that that's partly adaptive. So when you take in more food, NEAT almost invariably goes up. For some people, it goes up a huge amount, almost entirely offsetting the amount of food that you take in. For other people, it goes up barely at all, which makes some people more prone to weight gain than others. But it means that you can't just presume that if you maintain on 3,000 calories a day that you'll get a predictable increase in body weight from going up to 3,300. So that basically needs constant reassessment against your target um, your target rate of weight gain. And then, of course, as your body mass goes up, the amount of energy that you expend in every activity that you do also increases because it takes more energy to lug around 95 kilos than it does to take 90 around and so on and so on and so on. So you basically need to just increase the amount of food that you've eaten to you know some reasonable degree 10 or 15 percent or something and then reassess it and continue to increase it in light of your rate of weight gain and the amount of weight that you have gained in that time period and then once you get to the point where you're like hey i'm a little bit chubby or you're at the top end of your acceptable weight bracket maintain for a little bit and then consider doing a cut yep so basically to summarize um we need to spend longer in a surplus than we do in a cutting phase, which is good news because, you know, we get to eat more food. We should be eating more food. It takes longer for us to build muscle, so we're going to have to be in that phase for a longer period of time. And also, the other good news is when we're in that phase, like you mentioned, we're going to be doing more just inadvertently. Hmm. So we are going to be able to then eat even more. So it makes sense as powerlifters that we spend, you know, the majority of our time, the very least at maintenance, but or most likely in a surplus, so that we can maximize our body composition over time. Yeah. Um, all right, protein, same rules as cutting, would you say? Yeah, pretty much. You could make an argument that protein needs, if anything, go down, although I don't think that there's a strong case to reduce them because it shouldn't be hard to get that much protein, and you'll probably find if you reduce the amount of protein-containing foods you eat at a given meal, the incidental protein that you have with other foods, because foods are rarely made of just one macronutrient, the incidental protein that you eat is going to take you up to the same amount anyway. And like I said, there's that evidence that higher protein intakes are protective against weight gain or fat gain in a surplus. So probably if your protein gets too low, you run the risk of gaining less muscle or more fat um, and you shouldn't struggle to get that much protein in anyway. Yeah, so I think... That you know, the same. If we're using, yeah, if we're using the 90 kilo man as an example, eating 33 to 3,500 calories as yep. a small surplus... It's going to be pretty hard if you eat a normal diet for you to not hit 200 grams of protein. Like, it's going to be... You have to eat like a bit of an idiot to not get in 200 grams of protein. Oh, I think like I, th- I think you could get south of 200 grams, but, like, you're not going to get south of yeah, it's 161, not going to be 170. Yeah, it's no. not going to be 120, 130, yeah. No, you'd have to literally live on, like, cereal and Mars bars. And not even Nutrigrain, because Nutrigrain has heaps of protein. Nutrigrain, yeah, that's Iron Man food. Will approved. Love Nutrigrain. <laughs> um, yeah, so protein, about the same. Um, 
doesn't need to be more, certainly. And, like, you could do less, but I don't see why. Carbohydrate intake. So, carbohydrate intake, again, should be tied to the training volume that you're doing. When you are gaining weight, you are probably best served coupling it with training that is conducive to hypertrophy because the reason you are gaining weight is almost invariably to gain muscle. Um, Because... like a good portion of the adaptations that we get for pure strength training are more like neurological and technical you don't need as high of a rate of weight gain to maximize the returns from it Um, but for hypertrophy training you need to actually give yourself some fuel to gain muscle Um, hypertrophy training is typically higher volume so you would expect that your carbohydrate intake might have to go up a little bit but again it's really tied to the training volume that you do so three to four grams per kilo per day of carbohydrate for almost everybody is going to cover most powerlifting training bases there's no harm in going higher um and i again i can't see you going lower unless you happen to eat like a lot of fat so yeah somewhere in that range and higher is fine there's um been a lot of i've heard a lot of talk recently about low fat massing and high carb massing yeah what are your thoughts on on that like if you know for instance if we had like if we take matt uh, Matt Bartholomew, for example, mm-hmm. like he eats about seven to eight hundred grams of carbs a day with like 80, 70 to eighty grams of fat. So like ten times the amount of grams in carbs as fat. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the like possible benefits of this? Well, not to call out Matt, but fuck Matt. <laughs> <laughs> nah, um, <laughs> honestly, respect Matt. I've seen some of his like shakes and things that he eats just to get the carbs in, which is crazy. I'm actually not convinced, like jokes aside, I'm not convinced that there is a really big benefit to that. Um, I'm not convinced there's a big benefit. In short-term, like acute overfeeding, overfeeding in carbohydrates makes people gain less fat than overfeeding in fat. So when you're doing like a refeed during a cutting phase or you're doing a very short, short-term short um, high-calorie intake, more carbohydrates definitely better like in terms of prevent preventing fat gain in the longer term i think it pretty much evens out um the arguments that you could make for very high carbohydrate intake are fueling training which i think is adequately done by moderate carbohydrate intake um and possibly higher insulin levels promoting anabolism so or I mean, insulin is more anti-catabolic than anabolic, but there is an argument to be made for that. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that that matters enormously, but it might a little bit. Um, I'd be more inclined to say that that skewing your intake towards carbohydrate is safer than skewing your intake towards higher levels of fat than I would be to say that it actually imparts any huge benefits. But if somebody can think of a whole bunch of, or not even a whole bunch, just some some evidence or some potential reasons why very high carbohydrate massings, massing would be beneficial that they want to pass on to me, I'd be very curious to read it. Because, yeah, to me, it's never made a huge amount of sense beyond those couple of reasons I just listed then. Yeah, from, a, from an anecdotal point of view, I think it's just very, very difficult to hit those macros every day. Like, mm. you got to have very specific food choices. You can't really eat meats that are higher in fat yeah like you you'll stop you have to stop eating stuff like cheese you have to have a low fat milk like all that all those kind of things um it just like makes it very very difficult to actually hit those numbers yeah and i think if like cast your mind back to what i said about um energy density and cutting 
and the reverse can be true for you when you're gaining when you're gaining weight so when you're bulking or massing or whatever you want to call it um using some fat to prop up the energy density of your meals makes it easier to take the amount of food in that you have to because eventually your appetite does come down when you're gaining weight it gets harder and harder for you to force the food in um makes food more palatable and food that is highly rewarding so that combines fat carbohydrates and salt and stuff is easier to overconsume generally and you're really trying to overconsume food in this instance so makes it a lot harder than it has to be to have very low carbohydrate intake then the other potential downside is the same downside as what i alluded to um during cutting with a lot like having large amounts of food restriction is the more restrictive your diet has to be the more rigid your attitudes around food tend to become um and so it just makes it i wouldn't say like as in a certainly not a foregone conclusion but it increases the risk of developing unhealthy relationships with food to to impose more restriction than you need on people particularly when they're already gaining weight and as much as i said losing weight can make people vulnerable because it just doesn't feel good physiologically gaining weight can make people a little bit vulnerable as well because um most people find it a little bit of an uncomfortable experience to see the scale go up and see themselves get a little bit softer looking and stuff in the mirror so i i don't think i don't think imposing bounds that don't necessarily help results um around your diet so giving you more ways to perceive yourself as a failure whilst also asking you to look at yourself in the mirror on a week-by-week basis and see yourself looking a little bit chubbier um is necessarily beneficial um all that said i yeah i'm the jury's my jury personally is out on whether super high carb bulking helps but i would be disinclined to do it in most instances for the reasons that alex and i have just said yeah. Yeah, it also makes it like way, way, way harder to have a social life, eat out to dinner, yeah. go to a function, go to a family dinner, whatever the case is. If you're, you know, if your fat intake's 80 grams and you got to get 800 grams of carbs. Yeah. Um, like if you go to a barbecue and there's sausages and steaks, sizzle steaks and, you know, bread and sauce, like what are you going to eat? Bread and sauce? Yeah. Alcohol? Is it low fat massing that they're doing really or high carb massing? High carb massing. Oh, that sucks. If it was low fat massing, then I'd just be a functioning alcoholic. Hit those Smirnoff double blacks, like 300 calories. Yeah, if you get enough alcohol in to give yourself fatty liver without actually eating much fat, then you're killing it. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I reckon. Okay. Um, what else about bulking? So, um, blah, 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 fats. Micronutrition. Similar okay. rules, but to be honest, we can probably get away with eating a little bit less fruit and vegetables during this phase just because we have so much food coming in it's pretty unlikely that we're going to be short on any micronutrients yeah what um, i would tend to what i would tend to say instead of thinking about it like that even though that's a good baseline is literally just have the same baseline diet as when you're cutting and then you can put more discretionary food on top mm-hmm. so just like what i said about prescribing macros if you're like well i'm already eating a couple hundred grams of veggies and a piece of fruit most days but i have an extra thousand calories to play with there's absolutely nothing stopping you having some cake and ice cream and you know nutrient sparse foods just for enjoyment on top and still knowing you've hit your micronutrition yeah one of the ways that i like to do it and we'll we'll you know, we want to start doing tips now yeah why not should we do just tips of bulking now well okay i should say timing you should pretty much aim for the same timing yeah. as when you're cutting again it should just be easier for yeah. you to do eat a reasonable meal schedule that fits your life yeah um, get protein in minimum three times a day yeah ideally close to training for at least one dose likewise for carbs whatever 
It's not that hard. Like, just eat a sensible meal, Strike. Yeah. Um, so, should we go into tips for cutting first? Sure. Well, we kind of already spoken about a few of these, but first one for me is increase your veggie intake. Uh, we spoke about why. Very low calorie per bite. They're going to fill you up. They're going to add a lot of density to your meal. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot longer for you to eat your meal, which is going to you know have the feeling like you, you've been eating and like you are full. Mm-hmm. Um, anything to add to that? Actually, yes. I thought this was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, sensible tip before I say the less sensible one. Drink water, mostly. Um, liquid calories are less filling, almost invariably. So might as well, yeah, drink mostly water when you're cutting, unless you're having, like, coffee or caffeine. Um, no, my more... my It's not even not sensible. It's just a bit more left field. Um, suggestion is something that I know James Krieger had a client um, play around with doing, which was wearing a weight vest when they were cutting. He had a guy, seriously, he had a guy during bodybuilding contest prep. It actually makes really good sense. So during a bodybuilding contest prep, as he lost weight, he just added weight to the weight vest and he literally lived his life in it. And his calories didn't have to get as low. He said the weight loss in general was easier and stuff. And the reason was because he was wearing his weight vest the energy cost of all his movements was magnified. Mm. Um, so that suppression of non-exercise activity thermogenesis neat, that happens when you reduce um, calorie intake was mitigated a reasonable amount for this guy. So that I'm would ima- actually... I'm just imagining like walking ace with like a 20 kilo vest and like, fuck that. Well, imagine if you lost 20 kilos in general, that'd be messed up. Yeah, it'd be um, terrible. But like, but I could actually... I'd look like an absolute moron at lift. Luckily, I already like hang from the ceiling and blow into balloons and stuff, you know, <laughs> daily. So yeah, I look could, like a bit of a moron. You could sneak it under the vest and just everyone's like, "Fuck, has Will, Will been training his chest a little bit?" <laughs> <laughs> They'd know pretty quickly that that was not the case <laughs> when <laughs> I went to do that, bro. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think um, that would actually be that's actually a non-moronic idea for a left of field weight loss strategy. Would be couple your normal weight loss diets with wearing a weight vest. I actually think that's not that's not dumb. I don't think James Craig is the first person to ever think of it, but that would be kind of cool. This is a master troll from you. It's a li- <laughs> no, I I'm can't kidding, wait until no, we walk around Australia, which is, that's already that's quite an adventure. We walk around in parts of Australia and just come across weekly weights listeners, and the way we can identify them is because they're wearing weight vests. Just with the w- weekly weights logo. That'll be one of the first products that we release. Imagine the weekly that. weights weight vest. <laughs> People who are weekly weights fans just loud and proud walking around like the streets of Melbourne with a weight vest over their over their outerwear. It'll become a fashion accessory. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so okay, that, that's really all my tips. <laughs> something else that you mentioned was um, decreasing liquid calories. Yeah. And something that I wrote down was increasing um, diet soft drink intake. Yeah. That's something that helps me a lot. Like... Um, something that something that I like to do after dinner is have something sweet so only thing to consider here obviously is like when you drink diet soft drink it tricks your body it thinks it's sugar produces insulin and you might actually get like diabetic shock and die shut up <laughs> that, that was the master troll that doesn't happen do you remember when that was a, a thing on YouTube that was one of the big debates was like so, diet soft drinks make you fat do you remember that? The sad like, thing way is back, that is like OG, still, like still OG YouTube 2011, like OG, like Hodge Twins, Hodge Twins stuff. Diet soft drinks do not make you fat. Um, anyway, no, basically uh, for, you can drink for, them plenty. For me after dinner and often during meals, I like to have like something to sip on. Yeah. 
Um, and particularly after dinner, I like to have something sweet. So right now, I'm eating like a lot of food. Yeah. So I'll have chocolate or I'll have a bit of ice cream. Yeah. Also, shout out to everyone who likes Turkish delights because Turkish delights are awesome. Incorrect, but yeah, go on. <laughs> so like, you know, right now I'll have my dinner and then I might have a Turkish delight or yeah. a boost bar or something. That's a waste, but yeah, go when on. When I'm in a cutting phase and I don't have those calories at my disposal, it'll be like I'll have a can of Coke or a can of Pepsi Max or something like that. Mm. And I feel like that satiates my wanting for something sweet yeah so i usually just have some lemon in soda water and alkalize my body at the same time i'm i'm done i'm gonna just troll with bro science now for the rest of um okay i got two more i got two more tips for dieting oh okay one is have you considered ever applying these tips you chubby boy (laughs) (laughs) okay go on Oh dear! Um, yeah. You can tell I've lost. Weigh weigh yourself multiple times per week. Yes. Decide how many times you're going to weigh yourself and what days you're going to weigh yourself, and do the same thing every week. Take oh. a weekly average, and base your progress on your weekly average, not on your daily swings, because you your weight will fluctuate. Don't let that demotivate you. Don't let that make you feel like, you know, maybe your weight went up half a kilo, um, but not taking into account you maybe stop drinking water later or you weighed up weighed yourself earlier or whatever the case is um use those weekly averages to determine like your trends Mm -hmm. um don't get yeah don't buy into the one day scale thing i would add it's best if you weigh yourself first thing in the morning immediately after peeing yeah Um, same same circumstances per day if you can yeah that that's absolutely best but otherwise what alex said is really correct um Another tip for cutting, actually, I've thought of a sensible one, um, is that in the case of cutting, doing like weekly average calories can be okay. Um, I spoke about how you can potentially carb cycle a little bit and stuff just to facilitate adherence and training well. Having, yeah, if you have little deviations on a day-by-day basis and your weekly calories in line, that can be that can be all right, provided that day-by-day you more or less meet your minimum targets as well. Um, and again, that's going to play into some scale weight issues probably. So having that weekly average to track against is a really good idea. If you're a woman, and statistics say about 50% of people are women. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something good just then. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um <laughs> If, if you're a woman, um, then your menstrual cycle can also impact body weight. And so, like, best practice can be to track against, like, the same day or week of your cycle, um, which means you might need almost, like, monthly rolling averages. But at the very least, just be prepared for more, more fluctuations. You might be doing absolutely everything right and feel like you're literally gaining weight for a week during your weight loss phase. And that's not necessarily anything to worry about so tracking your data over the longer term is a really good idea for you as well yeah don't don't use that week if your weight does come up um during your period to freak out and then make any changes just stay patient and just trust the process trust the process are you going to trademark that i think it's already been you know joel mb do you know who that is nba player yeah he calls himself he calls himself the process yeah yeah he's like already taken it all right anyway i got one more yeah Realize that this is your decision and don't complain about it. I'm fully on board. Yeah. Um, you don't have to cut. Yeah, it's 
It's whatever. Wife. You can compete in a higher weight class. It's it's no it's no big deal. If yeah. if you're doing nationals and you have to get there, sure, get there. But again, it's your decision to do that. Yeah, no one's gonna like you better for being leaner. Um, that's what I realized when I was chubby in high school. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose heaps of weight and people will like me. Lost heaps of weight. No, still don't. I feel like people like you even less now. Yeah, especially maybe, Mitch Ronan. Me. <laughs> yeah, shout out Mitch. Um, no, in all seriousness, like people might notice that you that you look better, or at least they'll comment because the changes in your physique can be quite rapid when you lose weight. Um, and if you go from being very very overweight to like lean and athletic looking, the way in which people treat you might change a good amount. But really, for the majority of people who are doing this, that you should be doing it for your own satisfaction. And if you get too hung up on what other people have to say about your physique or how you look, then that's just a one-way road to dissatisfaction with yourself all the time. Um, it is your decision to lose weight if you choose to. And no one's forcing you to do it. You can go for as long or as little time as you like. But And you'll probably feel bad in the way, like in the process here and there, if you lose a good amount of weight. But like Alex said, it's literally your decision. Don't whinge about it. Um, and don't lose sight of the fact that you are doing this to better your life. And if you're getting to the point where you think that it's not, then it's probably not. And final tip I would add is if you're having a lot of trouble, just see a professional and get some help. I have one more actually. And it's something that's helped me heaps. Um, I've done some big cuts to make weight when I used to compete in the 74 class. Yeah. And that meant sometimes eating like 1,600 calories whilst doing my peaking, which not a good idea, but we're still able to do it. And... The big thing that helped me was um, pushing back my first meal of the day pretty much every day. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is when I eat my first meal, I, it tends to like spark my hunger a little bit. Yeah. And I'm sure this is something that's quite common. Um, you know, I know that if I have a meal at 9 a.m., I'm going to be probably hungry again at 11.30. Yeah. Um, and then the inverse is true when I'm trying to gain weight. You need to make sure that you're getting your first meal in early enough. Yeah, so there's, that's actually one of the benefits of intermittent fasting. So there's two ways to look at intermittent fasting. One is that when calories are equated and proteins equated, it doesn't seem to confer any benefit, which is true. But the other way of looking at it is that most of the intermittent fasting trials or, or in the literature they would call it time-restricted feeding trials, intermittent fasting would describe having days where you don't eat as opposed to just eating for eight hours and fasting for 16 um, most of them, in the people in the fasting groups or the restricted groups, tend to actually in a, like um, inadvertently eat less. So it can be a really handy means of appetite control for many people to just compress your eating window to yeah to fewer meals, um, and it also gives you less chances for lapses in um, in adherence if you just say I'm you know I'm eating three main meals like you know, whatever it is, brunch at 10, afternoon tea at 4 and dinner at 7.30 or something like that. Um, you can do that. You can still give yourself adequate protein across your day. If you do it prior to training, you can still train really well and it can help you control appetite. So it's a perfectly viable strategy if it suits your lifestyle. And it can, yeah, it can work really well. It seems to work very well in practice. Cool. All right, bulking tips. Um, pretty much the opposite of all of the cutting tips, yeah. funnily enough. Yeah. So... Um, first one i said was decrease veggie intake obviously sorry the first one i said was increase veggie intake for cutting by the same token decreasing veggie intake a little bit and replacing them with like another carbohydrate source from that meal so if you're having chicken potatoes and broccoli for instance 
you know, you might cut your broccoli in half and increase your potato intake for more calories. Um, I think that can be a, a great tip. Got any? Um, pretty much the opposite of the cutting tips. So yep. have some liquid in, calories yep, here in, and there. Increase liquid calories. Have some higher energy density foods. Um, have some rewarding foods. Eat more meals or eat earlier in the day. Yep. Um, Plan Planning ahead is super important. Yep. Um, particularly when you have like specific macros to hit. If you're eating a lot of food um, and you don't have meals at your disposal and you might be out, you might be busy and you might be tempted to grab something on the run, um, it may not fit into your nutritional plan. Yeah, that that more or less covers bulking tips. Oh, actually, tracking bulking. Um, so we spoke about, spoke about tracking, cutting um, and doing like weekly averages and things. The same should be true for bulking, although I think the the time lag between you making changes might be different. Yeah, I would like zoom out to like monthly or like fortnightly yeah. or something versus weekly. Yeah, um, and particularly when your rates of gain are going to be slower, there's just there's more there's more chance for noise to sort of interfere with your measurements of um, of how fast or slow you're gaining weight. So, so yeah, don't be afraid to keep things the same for a little bit. If your baseline lifting performance is improving, but your rate of weight gain is a little bit slower than planned, that's probably still fine. Um, and But, yeah, if you stall for a while, don't be afraid to increase food intake. Um, and the other thing is that you probably want to... So in the case of cutting, you can pretty much just use the scale, and that's a, that's a decent measure um, of whether or not you're losing weight, obviously. In the case of bulking, you need some um, you need some other measures to corroborate that the weight you are gaining is muscle. So multi-set performance in movements, particularly mechanically simple movements or single joint movements, is a really good indicator of whether you're putting on muscle mass. So if you go from whatever it happens to be, um, you know, bicep curling 10 kilo dumbbells for three sets of 10 to bicep curling 12 kilo dumbbells for three sets of 10 at similar difficulty, you've probably put on muscle mass. That relationship can get a bit muddied with more complicated movements where technical improvements can play a much bigger role. And obviously, as powerlifters, we're always trying to improve in technique. So the main lifts are a less good indication, although they're the one that you're going to sort of devote most of your training to improving. So making sure you track your accessory work progression and correlating that against your weight gain is probably a good idea. And if you have somebody who can measure like basic girths, of your muscles or you know or skin folds or anything as well that is that's excellent um but at least just having a handle of progression in pretty much all the lifting that you do and keeping enough constancy in the lifting that you do that you can see that your multi-set performance is improving in those lifts is a good idea do you think so yeah i completely agree with that um the last one that i have is just embrace being a bit fluffy yeah um realize that you know you're doing this for a long-term goal and you know like taking a snapshot of what you look like halfway through that long-term goal isn't the best way to go about recognizing whether there was a success or not yeah i think the it with both bulking and cutting having like figuring out what is actually going to satisfy you is pretty important because if you're really interested in being big and strong then you're going to have to gain weight at some stage. And if you're like actually scared of getting less lean, then you need to either get your priorities in check or like, or be more honest with yourself or say, do I really actually want to be much bigger and much stronger? And if you don't, that's perfectly fine and valid. You can just change your approach. 
And likewise, if you are losing weight because you know you want to be leaner or make a weight class, but you're concerned by the fact that you're not training as well and you're feeling worse in the gym or like you're getting weaker or something, one, your approach probably isn't quite optimal. But two, that might be a good indication that you don't really need to lose weight. Um, and so just just having your mind set or your values set in a way that sort of lines up with what you're actually going to do with your nutrition makes things a whole lot easier. If you take if you take weight gain periods as a time to really just focus on training hard and, in, and enjoying it and enjoying food and socializing and things like that, rather than um, rather than being so anxious about your look in the mirror degrading slowly, then you'll probably enjoy it a whole lot more. Yeah? Yeah, and realize that um, the cutting phase that's going to follow the longer bulking phase is only a short period of time. Yeah. And it's like you're only a, a you're only a short period of time away from you know looking normal or looking better than normal again. Yeah. So you know, be okay with it and recognize that you know you're not far off where you want to be. No. Um, that's more or less all I've got to say. Is that all you got to say? Yeah, that's it. Let's um, come back with uh, overrated, underrated, properly rated. All right. Weekly Weights, episode 71. We are back with week two of underrated, overrated, properly rated. Yeah. I feel like week one was a success. What do you think, Will? Yeah, week one was fun. Um, bit of controversy around the Gymshark comments from Alex. Yeah, I think we're going to get a nasty letter in the mail. I got a from- cease and desist letter. I'm just sent it straight to the trash. Because <laughs> I don't get talked to like that, you know. Like, we're weekly weights and you can't just threaten us. Drag to bin. Yeah, exactly. Just straight out of there. All right. Do you want to ask your one first? Yeah, I'll go first. So, overrated, underrated, or properly rated pre-workout supplements. Wow, that's actually a good one. Overrated. Overrated or properly rated? Overrated. Um, They actually feel good and they're fun. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna like throw that right out there. When I used to take like the beta alanine containing pre-workouts and stuff, or like the original Jack 3D. Oh, that was the best. Great times. I remember the first time I took this one pre-workout um, called Bulldozer 3000. Bullshit, that's not the name. That was the name. That's not the name. I'm, I'm going to Google it. Bulldozer 3000. Nice, that's some <laughs> that of the best so names. Um, I took that before I did a training session when I was like 19. And I literally couldn't lift my arms. I went and got a sandwich from the cafe near Fitness First that we worked at. And I was like, I couldn't put the food in my mouth. My arms felt so jacked. It was the best thing ever. But the reason I think they're overrated, one um, is just interfering with sleep and like the general come down from them. And two is the reliance on them um, by lots of athletes just to get through training that really shouldn't require that. Um, I've got like I've got nothing against people taking some caffeine or taking some pre-workout and things for the majority of their training but I think like if you're relying on a pre-workout all the time then not only is your training probably like a bit unreasonably hard or you're masking recovery issues um, but also just your approach to training is wrong like it shouldn't be so stressful that you need that and then the other issue um, is that not all of them but many of them can end up with you getting popped for like popped for a banned stimulant or something so if you happen to be somebody who's in a drug tested federation it takes more care than i think it's worth to take a pre-workout supplement when you can get most of the actual ergogenic benefits a lot more safely and easily by just having like a double espresso or a couple of nodos or something um so overrated 
but overrated with a tip of the cap to how much fun it is to take them and like I'm going to put this out there I took a pre-workout a few weeks ago no idea if it's wide or approved <laughs> right so if I just have godly levels of strength in the next six eight weeks it's because I'm not natty anymore um, but I took it to train chest with one of my friends at Anytime Fitness in Northridge because I've been doing that a little bit big bench coming chest day chest day Berkey and no chest I no had, sex <laughs> I had the, no pecs no sex no, no Tim star Hmm? You know Tim Star? No. You haven't seen that guy? No. The skinny Asian guy? The, no, you um, have to send him to me. It's so good. Um, anyway, point is, took it. Godly pumps. Like, it was so good. So I do I do understand the appeal. Still overrated. Look, I love pre-workouts. Yeah. Because, like, I like how it makes me feel. Yeah. But I'm totally aware that it's, like, it's probably not doing anything for me that's special outside of just taking caffeine. Well, this is the thing. Many of them as well are really underdosed with the actual things that are yeah, beneficial. and a lot of them have proprietary blends, so you don't know the actual doses. Yeah. And you don't, like, know half the ingredients either. Yeah. it's So, look, overrated but fun. Like, in a perfect world where it didn't matter, I'd just take it anyway. I agree with you, but I would say properly rated. Why? Because you think there's enough info on either side of the fence? Well, I just think the fun outweighs the... The fun and then also... It depends which one you get because there are a few out there that tell you the exact doses and that have um, scientifically backed ingredients in them. Yeah. Like tier one's one of the good ones from Citadel. And the other good one is um, from, fuck, what's it called? From PR Breaker. It's called PR Breaker, I think. Okay. Well, like an Omar Rousseff's coming out with one and his is named after something mythological. Like it's probably fine. Yeah. But anyway, overrated, but only narrowly from me. Um, Alex. I'm excited. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Gym playlists. Very overrated. Okay. Um, I think the music that gets someone hyped up is super individual. Yeah. And you shouldn't be looking at someone else's music playlist for inspiration. Okay. Unless you like like similar genres and you might like find some songs that you like mm-hmm. that you didn't know existed. Yeah. But outside of that, I think you should make your own playlist. Yeah, but like, what about your own playlist? Do you reckon it's overrated? Well, I actually try and keep my own playlist like in reserve for when I need it. Yeah. Like I'll save it for like a few weeks out from comp and comp day and stuff like that. Yeah. So like, I just tend to listen to music that I like, just like general music that I like during general training. And then I'll save it for when I need it. So in that instance, my own playlist, probably rated by myself because it's great. It's trash. But go on. (laughs) Um, but like the classic gym, the ones that are called like hip hop gym or like whatever the fuck their names are on Spotify yeah. are shit and they're overrated. I just thought of a great name for a gym playlist. Somebody trademark this for me. Play lit. That definitely exists. Probably. Um, <laughs> that, I've definitely seen that. Okay. Play lit. <laughs> I, think, I think they're overrated as well for a similar reason to pre-workouts but the other thing that makes them overrated is there one called Playlit yeah Playlit uh, with a fire emoji dang it um, the other reason I think they're First. a little bit overrated is just because you burn through them too quickly I've realised like I made like a I made a couple of like 30 song playlists and like they're fun for like a week and then I'm like Ugh. exactly right you know? like that's um, why that's why I have like my gym playlist which is mostly like late 90s hip-hop and early 2000s hip-hop. Yeah. And there's all songs that I've heard a billion times, but I don't want to listen to them every single day. So I've got a playlist I was listening to today while I was training, um, and it's literally like 
it's like a, a tapestry of love. It like takes you from like like young love through to like conflict in a relationship, breakup, and then being sad and lonely at the end. Beautiful. Called Emotional Girth. Shorter and thicker. Because I cut a lot of songs out of it from the first time I made it. And I was listening to that today when I was training. So I'm like there with like Ryan Adams and seeing things just like warbling yeah, my ears. That sucks. No, it was good. It yeah, was nice for see, a change like, of... My go-to for a normal training session is find an album that I like. S Club 7, Greatest Hits. That's like in the top few at the moment. That's yeah, like in the you know, like jump the jump back in thing on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find an album that I like. So just like anything that I've listened to over the last... 27 years yeah and I'll just play an album from start to finish like yeah. as intended to listen to yeah well that's not bad I've like I've done that a few times but again most of my albums are pretty depresso so it's a bit like do I really want this you yeah. know when I'm benching I listen to real sad shit yeah and then otherwise it's yeah it's all good um, fun stuff so yeah gym playlist save your best songs for when you need them the most yeah keep them in the back pocket yeah I'm with that alright this has been Weekly Wades I'm Will at W.BergmanP2 I'm Alex at Alex Hayes underscore process What's on next week? Uh, we have Charlie Athanasio on next week. And then the week after? And then the week after we have two times IPF world champion Natalie Hansen on. We didn't really give Charlie like an epithet that summed up how good he is. He's Melbourne strength coach. Charlie's, he's head powerlifting Charlie's, coach. He's all right. He's all right. He's good. <laughs> he's, a, he's a nice guy. <laughs> and then, yeah, we got two times. He's been hassling us to come on. So Yeah, it's been years. So we're like, okay, fine. All right. <laughs> well, he actually helped us set up the podcast initially. Yeah, he did. Because I um, I asked him hate a lot about like how to get podcasts on iTunes, how to like record it, all that kind of stuff, and he he helped me heaps. So shout out Charlie. Shout out Charlie. All right. So those two coming right up. We'll chat to you guys next week. Peace out.